Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Addict Headquarters. We have a great show for you today because Nell Minow, the famous movie mom, is here to discuss her exciting Comic-Con adventures as well as the new Minions film. And A.J. Hockery, the mad movie man, has agreed to co-host. We always consider it a special treat when Nell and A.J. are with us at the same time. They are both members of our Movie Addict Headquarters family, so most of you already know about their impressive backgrounds. But I think it's important to tell new listeners that Nell is one of the most respected film critics working today, and her great Movie Mom website just celebrated its 20th anniversary. Yay! She Yay. writes commentary for BeliefNet.com and is the author of many excellent film related books. And, of course, I want new listeners to know that A.J. is also one of our favorite critics. He contributes entertaining, insightful film reviews to various sites, including Classic Movie Guide, Review Express, Terror Tube, Real Talk Movie Reviews, yay, and his own popular blog, CineSlice. That's capital C-I-N-E, capital S-L-I-C-E. And because A.J. is co-hosting, let's bring him on first. Thanks so much for agreeing to co-host today, A.J. Anytime, Betty Joe. Anytime to talk about movies is pretty cool with me, so I'm glad to be on board. Well, we're so glad that you could be on board, and uh, this time it's for the entire show. Am I right about that? Yep, I'm on board the whole ride. Let's do this. Let, let's do this. And I see Nell has been waiting patiently. Hi, Nell. Congratulations well, on the 20th anniversary of your Movie Mom site. Yeah, I don't think that there's another website that has been in continuous operation for 20 years. Um, I was uh, doing my own code back in the early days. It was pretty basic, but thank you. Oh, my gosh. I, I just think you do such a wonderful service public service and so entertaining and informative with the uh, with uh, the reviews and your your comments and your articles uh, uh, tell our listeners the link where they can find um uh the movie mom site i i believe it's on it's, beliefnet now right it's pretty easy to remember it's moviemom.com okay so they could just go www.moviemom.com dot com mm-hmm. and um and and uh, it's belief net that that hosts the movie mom right. site okay right. all right well let's turn to comic con now 
I think I have two people here who are really interested in comic, well, three, including me. And now I want to thank you for all those photos and updates you shared on <laughs> Facebook while you were there this year. It, oh, it made me awfully jealous. <laughs> I sure wanted to <laughs> know more <laughs> about what you were up to there. And I know AJ has some questions for you about that, too. AJ, you're on. All right. First off, Nell, I want to thank you for reporting from Comic-Con because over the years I've heard stories and legends about, like, the crowds and the lines and how packed wall-to-wall this place is so that you're in the thick of it reporting. It's it's definitely a, a service for uh, geeks <laughs> like me, so that I really, really appreciate. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and uh, of course, you know, Comic-Con San Diego, it's one of the biggest, you know, media-related events of the year. It's not just about comics anymore. It's, you know, it's comics, movies, television shows, internet, all sorts of things going on, all sorts of events and exhibits. So out of everything that happened uh, at this year's event, what did you enjoy the most personally? Oh, boy, uh, that's hard to say. I think probably the thing I enjoyed the most was the panel of the writers of the Big Bang Theory. Um, They are, of course, big fans of Comic-Con themselves. Their characters talk about Comic-Con and go to Comic-Con, and they're hugely popular at Comic-Con, and they are well-known for always doing something that will really wow the crowd. For example, one year, everyone arrived and found that on each seat were the lyrics of the theme song for Big Bang Theory. And they came out and they said, we thought it would be fun to lead off the panel by all singing the theme song. And we brought someone to help us, and they brought out the Bare Naked Ladies, who are the group that sing the song on the theme song as a surprise. And this year they said uh, it was just going to be the writers, which was fine with me. I was looking forward to hearing what the writers had to say, but they surprised us by having two of the actors there as well. And so that made it very exciting. I'm a big fan of the show, and the actors who play Raj and Amy Farrah Fowler, who are two of my favorite characters, came out and uh, answered questions and did a little skit that the writers uh, put together. And so that, I think, was the most fun. Excellent. Cool to hear. Uh, and like you said, you know, not only uh, did they show up, there was a lot of other celebrities who show up there, you know, to kind of promote the upcoming movies, like uh, Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool and Bruce Campbell doing, you know, Ash vs. Evil Dead, which out of all the trailers that I saw that came out of Comic-Con, that's the thing that I'm most excited for is the return of Ash, uh, Bruce Campbell as Ash for the Evil Dead stuff. Uh, but uh, in terms of, like, who you uh, spoke to, uh, what, film related, uh, what film-related individuals did you uh, get the chance to interview? And uh, if so, were there any surprises about the projects they're working on that you learned from them? Well, you know, as you said, it's gone way past comics, and they bill it now as a festival of the lively arts. And so they are really... Um, it's not just superheroes or fantasy or Lord of the Rings, although gosh knows that's all over the place. But I got to talk to the people behind three new television sitcoms that have nothing to do with anything comic book related. But I thought it was very interesting to see. You know, TV Land is a network that is best known for running reruns of, you know, the Andy Griffith Show and the Golden Girls and having a few new series. And they really want to rebrand themselves as the producers and purveyors of edgy 
sitcoms and with with top stars and the best place for them to get that word out was at Comic-Con. So they were there with three new sitcoms, the Jim Gaffigan show, a show mm-hmm. called Impastor, which is about a, a low-down deadbeat pretending to be a Lutheran clergyman, uh, and a show called Teachers, which began as a web series. This is really funny. I really enjoyed talking to the people behind it. It began as a web series from a comedy group that had six young actresses, and the thing they all had in common was that they were all from Chicago and they were all named Katie. So there was Catherine's and Caitlin's and whatever, but they were all named Katie. And so they started doing comedy together, and they started. Uh, they came up with this idea of being teachers, and uh, it was a web series. It's now it's going to TV land. So it was really fun to talk to the people who are putting those shows together. I interviewed Sarah Rue. I've been a big fan of hers forever. Um, she's, you know, guested on Will and Grace and, and on The Big Bang Theory, and she had her own show, and it was really fun to get a chance to talk to her and sort of get a peek behind the scenes from the ladies from Teachers about how they put it all together. Alison Brie was there, too, and I'm a huge fan of her. So that was that was really fun. I also got to talk to the entire cast and the director of um, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And <laughs> that was super fun. I mean, if you're a fan of classic movies, then you're going to get goosebumps when I tell you that I spoke to Jack Houston, the grandson of John Houston, the great-grandson of Walter Houston, the nephew of Angelica Houston and Danny Houston, and he was so charming, so delightful, so handsome. I really, really, really enjoyed talking to him. I also, if you're a geek or a fanboy, you're going to flip out when I tell you that Matt Smith is in the movie. Uh, He, of course, is Doctor Who. And so there I was sitting next to Doctor Who and talking to him (laughs) about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And that was just enormous fun. And there's just something very relaxed about it. I've talked to a lot of actors and and movie stars and filmmakers, but at Comic-Con, everybody is just a little more laid back and there's a friendly feeling. I was just walking down the street between two of the venues at Comic-Con and Henry Cavill walked in front of me, you know, the guy who plays Superman. And I saw a kid from Modern Family, the kid who plays Luke from Modern Family, just walking around too. And uh, so it's a very... um, it's a very insidery, homey feeling. And about the lines, I just want to say something about the lines. Yeah, the lines are insane. That place where I where I ran into Henry Cavill, um, <clears throat> between the convention center and one of the hotels, the Hilton Hotel, it's about half a mile. The line for Hall H to get into the Star Wars event was all the way from the convention center to the hotel and back again. People had been camping out for four days. They, even though they had beach umbrellas and sunblock and everything, they were all bright red from the sun, and yet they all felt that it was worth it because by the time they got into Hall H, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill all came out. Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher kissed for the crowd, and then (laughs) they said to the crowd, we have a surprise for you. There is a free concert just for you people right outside a full orchestra playing the music from Star Wars. And they all got up, went out, and listened to it. (laughs) We're standing in line for that, that's for sure. Yeah, so for four days. And they gave them all lightsabers, too. They did. So, 
yeah, so you know, so it's it's pretty great. Okay, so that's Hall H, which is the largest space at Comic-Con and holds about 6,500 people. And, yeah, the line to get in there is very, very long, although I have to tell you, do you know who is furious? Kevin Smith, because he came on right after Star Wars. And everybody left. Nobody (laughs) stayed to hear what Kevin Smith had to say. So depending on who you're going to go see, you can get in there on Sunday without a problem at all. And, However, what I like to do, I've been in Hall H, and it's really nice, and it's exciting, but all of that stuff gets out five seconds later. You can watch the entire Star Wars event from Hall H on my blog it's, or on YouTube. It's there. So all that stuff gets out very quickly. What I really enjoy at Comic-Con, and which does not get out right away, is I like to go to the smaller events where you don't have to wait mm-hmm. in line, and you can hear the production designers, the location managers, the costume designers, the storyboard artists really give you oh, uh, uh, a tribute to the 40th anniversary of ILM about special effects, really give you the inside stuff. And, uh, in fact, there were no Ant-Man events at all at Comic-Con, but because we went to hear the storyboard artist who worked on uh, Ant-Man, and we looked and we went to hear the um, composer who worked on Ant-Man, we got to see footage that nobody else got to see. Wow. Wow. Good for, good for you. Now, uh, AJ, if you and I go to the next Comic Con, we're going to have to uh, remember what Nell said. Go to the smaller, the smaller events. And and every year, this is the one piece of advice I give people about Comic Con. Every year, the the panel I remember the most is always something where I couldn't get into something, so I went to whatever was next door, or <laughs> I went to something because something was going to be in that room afterward and i wanted to be sure that i got in and i hear all kinds of crazy stuff and i have a lot of fun at those panels and so you know and everybody's there kiss was there because they have a new movie with scooby-doo i'm not making that up and uh and and, you know no matter where you go you're going to have a blast and i have a friend who has the opposite strategy to mine he goes and he camps out and goes into Hall H, and so we never see each other the whole time that we're there, and so we always have breakfast together on Sunday morning and compare notes, and, you know, there's, like, no overlap whatsoever, and we just have a blast talking to each other. (laughs) Sounds good, and like you said, it feels like it's, like, despite all the hectic crowds and the lines and everything, that it is a place where fans and, like, you know, the celebrities and all the big-name actors and everything and all the industry professionals can come together and just display like their love for whatever whatever they're uh, going for whatever, whatever they love and nobody judges yeah. yeah nobody judges anybody you know you could talk to somebody and they're into Bob's burgers or they're into <laughs> Phineas and Ferb or something like that or and it's fine i went into an event a couple of years ago where again i was trying to get into the thing that was going to be next in that room and i wanted to make sure i got a seat so i went in a little early and a guy was talking, and everybody in the room was just enwrapped. And, you know, I'm pretty good with pop culture. I usually can recognize somebody or have a sense of who it is. I had no idea who this guy was. I mean, not the slightest clue. And people around him clearly were beside themselves. They were so excited over who he was. And finally, the woman sitting behind me said to her daughter, I never thought that I would get to see in person SpongeBob SquarePants, and it was the guy who was the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants, and people just, yeah, people just were beside themselves. They loved him so much, and 
you know, I went to the panel on the History of Mad Magazine, which I loved. I got to interview the guy who's the editor of all of the movie parodies on Mad Magazine and talk to him about that and about how Steven Spielberg has the Jaws mad story up on his walls of his office and how all of the Hollywood people are so complimented when mad makes fun of them. And it was just great. So yeah, it is, it is really, really fun. And everybody is in a good mood. Everybody's very accepting of everybody else. So my husband, you know, goes also, and he's very interested in the art in the comic art and uh, illustration art. And he was at one of the booths on the exhibit hall and was uh, talking to the, um, owner there, that he, somebody that he knows, and a guy came in dressed as a Mexican wrestler with one of those crazy masks over his head and started mm-hmm. talking to them about an artist that my husband knows a lot about, so they start chatting, and after he left, he gave his contact information to the owner so they could follow up on some art that he was looking at, and it was Guillermo del Toro. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, these people are and, – and it's not unusual for stars to dress up themselves and like that and disguise themselves and walk around. And there was a very funny event a few years ago at the Amazing Spider-Man uh, Hall H event where they had the um, – the people from uh, Marvel talking about it, and a guy got up to ask a question wearing a really cheesy, terrible Spider-Man costume, and he took the mask off, and it was Andrew Garfield. Oh! <laughs> so they, That's you know, they really like to they really like to surprise the fans. They really like to pay tribute to the fans. Oh, I was on my way to do an, to do this interview with the uh, TV Land people, which was. Um, across the street from the convention center. So I was crossing the street to get over there, and there was a, a <laughs> there was an event. It's hard to describe. It, it, I'm just going to say that there was a kind of a parade in uh, support of Sharknado 3. Oh and they had big Uncle Sam, Uncle Sam's on stilts with sharks going through their middles and girls dressed up in shark outfits dancing, and it was very funny. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say that, that story. You never know what you're going to see at Comic-Con, man. You never know uh, what you're going to see. It is it is a surprise every minute. It is it is everything is, you know, it is just so inventive and so creative and so passionate. People care so much about the things that they love and uh are so happy to be where they can be in touch with the people who create them. I, and I was going to say that a uh, story about uh, Guillermo del Toro that kind of leads into the next question I had. Uh, if there's anybody or there's any group at Comic-Con or any conventions and stuff like this, if there's any group that catches your eye, aside from, you know, the big-name celebrities, it's the people in costume, the people who spend however many, like, months preparing for it and just display, like, such talent and craft in putting together these, like, outfits that are eye-catching, that are just really, really accurate to who they're supposed to be. Were there any costumes in particular that you saw this year that just, like, blew you away, that just totally impressed you? Well, again, in that same area where I saw Henry Cavill, I was walking back and forth between the Hilton and the convention center. I saw a woman dressed as disgust from Inside Out. And she oh, wow. did such an amazing job on that costume we, for a movie that has only been out a very short time. So she really mm-hmm. just put it together. She was 
phenomenal. I could not. And then when I asked if I could take her picture, she made a great disgusted face. And she, <laughs> she. So that one really, that one really knocked me out. And then I also saw this year, in particular, a lot of family. Um, families dressing t- up together. So last year there was a really good one that I loved that was three adults dressed as the Ghostbusters and a little girl, maybe nine months old, uh, was Mr. Stapoff. <laughs> oh. this, year, this year there was a mom and a dad who were Catwoman and the Riddler and the little kid maybe – four years old was the Joker and he was and, and each costume was done with such love and attention to detail. Oh. Those so those were those are some of my favorites this year. But the big event on Saturday night every year is the costume competition. And that oh. is a very serious competition. They have Hollywood costume designers there judging it and the prizes are very big and not only that you could even get a job if, out of it if you if you do a great job, and they do a wonderful wonderful job. They are amazing, but you know as I said before, the crowd is very uh, supportive no matter what. And one year we were there, and a guy came out and basically he'd taken a, a bathroom rug shag rug and cut it in half and put it over his head, and he came over and he said, "I am Kang." whoever that is, and everybody in the room, huge, huge room, started yelling, all hail Kang, all hail Kang. <laughs> it was great. That was that was wonderful. But people do incre- – I mean, a guy did came out as one of the Transformers. You cannot imagine what he did. It was phenomenal. He must have been 10 feet tall, and he had all these moving parts, and it was great. Oh, my gosh. That, it just sounds so exciting. It really does. Well, you know, and, for the first year I went, I was kind of shy about asking people if I could take their picture. And then they started thanking me. And I realized that's why they get dressed up. They love doing that. Of course, yeah. <laughs> well, that, sounds really, was, that sounds really, really cool, yeah. It is It is great. And I've been to other Comic-Cons, and they don't come anywhere close. They're wonderful and, and fun, and I love them, and I'm always happy to go. But San Diego Comic Con is in a is in a class by itself. Excellent. Uh, but earlier, Nell, you mentioned you know going to the Pride and Prejudice and uh, Zombies panel to the Big Bang Theory uh, writers panel. There's uh, like in addition to just you know like all the big presentations just for the movies and everything. There are like those smaller kind of out of the way ones that uh, just you go to them and you hear like a lot of information and a lot of stuff that's coming out soon, whether it's you know books or movies and everything, not necessarily the, the huge name ones. What were some of the other panels that you managed to participate in this year? Well, I was actually on two panels, and I would love to tell you about that, but I just want to mention that uh, an example is that I saw a that there was a panel uh, a, from a Canadian company that makes animated films. They're just, uh, their first animated film was about to be released on DVD at Walmart the following week. So it it just came out. It's called Pixies, and it has voices like uh, Christopher Plummer and Bill Pullman. And so this was their first time ever at Comic-Con. So I thought it would be fun to see them. So I went to that, and I would say if there were 50 people in the room, I would be amazed. I don't think so. And it was really fun to see them and to think – 
I'm seeing something at the beginning that maybe, you know, they could be the next Pixar or they could be something really big years from now and to sort of see how they came together and how they thought about the characters they were working with. And so I enjoyed that a lot. Now, I was on two panels myself, and one that you guys would particularly enjoy was the Rotten Tomatoes panel. And everybody who, who, everybody who comes to that panel is given a paddle with a ripe tomato on one side and a rotten tomato on the other. And the panel is all made up of uh, critics, and the people who come to the, to the audience each get 60 seconds to stand up and tell us that the critics were right about something or were wrong about something. And so they, can, they come in and say, the critics hated this movie, but I loved it. The critics loved this movie, but I hated it. And then uh, the critics get a chance to respond, and then everybody in the room holds up their paddle whether they like the movie or not. And it gets very raucous, very, very intense, very passionate. One guy got up and he said he hated Inside Out. And Ooh. Scott Mance, right, uh, who is one of the other critics, lost it so badly that I had to assure the crowd that um, it was obviously Lewis Black who was running Scott Mance's brain at that point because he was he had gone completely nuts. And the, the, guy who, the guy who didn't like Inside Out, his girlfriend came up to me afterwards and said, thank you so much for explaining why you should like the movie. It was so funny. And we have this one kid who comes every year, and he loves the Transformers, and he likes to get. And you know, he's and he's. It's like he's like making a Supreme Court argument. He says, "Now there are four reasons why the Mark Wahlberg Transformers movie was better than the you know this other Transformers movie," and we just love him. And it is just a a lot of fun. So that was one panel I was on. Then I was on another panel this year. That was how to teach your children to love your nerdy passions, basically, how to share your, your fanboyism Aww. with your kids. And we were not allowed to tell anybody ahead of time that one of our panelists was an actor from the Avengers movies, Clark Gregg, oh. Who, who, oh, wow. plays, who plays Agent Coulson. And he came with his 13-year-old daughter, and who knows who he's married to? I don't. Oh, he's it's in the back of my head. I know it's it. It's Jennifer Grey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, From Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so he came, and I. So also on the panel were the guy who wrote the best-selling book, Darth Vader and Son, and uh, and and another guy who who writes for a, a website called Geek Dad. And we we had a wonderful time talking to the people in the audience. They asked such interesting, thoughtful questions about families that do and don't share the same passions and. Um, one girl came up to me afterward, I mean, a, an adult uh, came up to me afterward with her father, and they. she said that she and her father loved to cosplay together. They were dressed as two of the Incredibles. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, it's just, it's like, uh, what an, adv- an adventure. I, and you know, now it's interesting that Comic-Con has become so important <laughs> to, you know, in pop culture and to movie well, the fans reason for and that, comic book fans. Yeah, I always describe it as the Iowa caucuses of popular culture. So just like the candidates all go out to Iowa for two years before the election and get to know everybody and get the word out, that's the same thing, the same idea at Comic-Con. And everything that's going to be happening in culture in the next 
18 months to two years, really starts at Comic-Con because these are the passionate fans. These are the people who get, make things go viral, and they really feel that if they can connect with the people who care enough to schlep all the way out to San Diego and stand in line for a day to get into mm-hmm. Hall H, that that those people will um, will will carry the word forward. And those people have a lot of credibility because they don't wait to see what everybody else says is cool or what Entertainment Weekly recommends. They make up their own minds. These are the most passionate fans, and so they really mm-hmm. serve as a gateway um, to the to larger world of of consumers of entertainment. And I'm amazed at how much it's grown. My husband and I did uh, attend um, Comic-Con in San Diego mid, mid-90s and because we lived a few blocks from the convention center and we could mm. just walk over there, so we did. But it was not as well attended then. I, we never dreamed that it would become, you know, the what does Entertainment Weekly say, the epicenter of popular culture. It but is. you know, yeah, it is. And you know what? We promised our listeners that we would also talk about Minions. Mm. I was so happy when I saw Minions that they had their own little kind of comic con, which was yes. Villain Con. Villain Con. <laughs> villain <laughs> Con. So a parody. That was my so, favorite part so, of the movie. Yeah, it was so great. And so I wanted to find out from from both of you, since I know that you've both seen Minions, um, what, what was your reaction? Did Minions live up to your expectation, uh, Nell? Not really. Um, I enjoyed it, but it didn't come close for to the original Despicable Me. Or even, you know, I really, I don't compare it to Despicable Me. I compare it to uh, Penguins of Madagascar because that's another example of side characters who got their own movie. And I thought that was an extremely funny, clever movie. By the way, I first saw my my initial um glimpse of that was at Comic Con last year where I got to talk to um Cumberbatch and uh and John Malkovich about it. Mm. And that was, you know, a very successful um version of taking the side characters and making them foremost. But in this one, partly because they don't talk they're not as distinguishable, and they're not as um, they're just not as vivid characters. And also in Despicable Me, you had some kind of character arc for somebody. You had you know this wonderful story about Gru and his relationship with the girls. And in Minions, not a lot not a lot happened. So you know I enjoyed it very much, but not quite as much as I was hoping. Well, I I thought that that you had some some reservation about it, and um, AJ, you've just come back from a showing of of Minions. Uh, how about you? Did, did what did you think about uh, Minions? Well, I knew going in that whatever my thoughts for Minions would be, I would kind of have to reconcile that with my disdain for just the merchandising blitzkrieg that is going on with the minions. It's like there, someone put a best on Twitter where it's like, walk into a supermarket, close your eyes, turn around three times and stick your hand out. You're holding minion merchandise. Like it's just on everything. They are everywhere. So just going into this, I'm like, I got to put it out of my head that I'm sick of seeing the minions and every product possible in the stores and everything. And that said, coming out of it, it was a harmless enough movie. Uh, I do think that, uh, like, this would be a more accessible movie and uh, for for smaller kids because 
the minions, like, they don't ha- really have dialogue. They speak gibberish, so it's a lot of physical comedy and insinuation, so it's not like they would have to follow along with the spoken words. They just have to look at the images before them and, you know, just c- kind of communicate uh, through physical humor, and I think that's more accessible for like little little kids. Uh, it was it was zany, it was colorful. Like there was a lot of you know physical gags and yelling and stuff. Uh, it, it didn't really irritate me as much as I thought it would, and I do like the previous two dis- the two Despicable Me movies a lot more than this one. So it was a slight comedy. It's nothing that I'm gonna. Uh, just throw a fit about like it, it was it was harmless enough. Uh, I still think the minions just kind of need to back off on the product placement, merchandising, and all that stuff. But as for the movie itself, it had some funny bits. It had a good soundtrack, a lot of good '60s music in there. You know, you got Rolling Stones, you got Donovan, Jimi Hendrix in there, the Beatles. Oh, well, pretty good mix. So if anything, it's a pretty good sound. It's a better soundtrack than it is a movie. Let's let's put it that way. Oh, my gosh, I'm glad you mentioned the soundtrack, but I'm going to have to be in the minority here. I absolutely loved this Minions movie. Now, I will love, there's a disclaimer here, because I think I was the only one in the in the theater that was laughing through the whole whole movie. <laughs> I don't think anybody else was, but I was just loving it. I just think there's, they, well, it's kind of like the Three Stooges and slapstick, slapstick comedy, but I loved it so much that I wrote a poem to the Minions, so it's very short, <laughs> and I'm just going just gonna to read oh, it right boy. here. Let's get this out of the way. I call it Minions Mania. Minions, Minions, you are stars now. You own the screen, so take a bow. No matter what, you make us smile and lose our cares for quite a while. Your latest film is so much fun, you should be proud of what you've done. You need a rest, take off some time, but would that be a Minions crime? Your fans love you, we understand, even a spree at Disneyland. Then come back soon to the big screen with lots of tricks we haven't seen. Minions, Minions, you are big stars now. You own the screen, so take a bow. Now, I should have worked the merchandise in there somewhere, AJ. <laughs> but I couldn't quite find that soundtrack. Whenever they put these musical numbers into movies... I mean, I'm there. I mean, I, I just, I just love them. And you're right. The Beatles, the Turtles, the Doors, the Lynx, the Who. I mean, you name them, and they, <laughs> their music shows up in in the. In yeah, the we, we should we should mention to the listeners that this is a prequel, so it's set in the '60s. So I don't want to say like like Rue's not in the picture for the most part. Not going to really spoil anything, but it's like the story is about the Minions, you know. The, their beginnings and searching for like the biggest, baddest villain to follow. So you see them like tending after a T-Rex, and then they go to a caveman from that, and they go on to Napoleon, uh, out, and then they end up with uh, Scarlet Overkill, voiced by uh, Sandra Bullock and her uh, inventor husband, who's John Hamm, in this one, trying to help them steal the crown jewels. And I do like how uh, they they are good guys in a in a sense that they are characters that they're just kind of oblivious to their surroundings. So they end up like try they end up like saving the day at the end, but not really by means of like oh they realize that Scarlet Overkill's a bad person. They're actually trying to apologize for her. So <laughs> they just end up somehow like causing all this good to happen and saving the day for everyone. So I did, I did like that. It still kind of has that ironic twist to it. 
Yes, I, I I thought that that part was very good. But when they and have I thought these, Sandra Bullock and John Hamm were both fantastic. And I agree yes. with you about the soundtrack. Uh, as I told you, I interviewed the guy who wrote the score, and he also did the Despicable Me scores as well. Hightower Pereira, I'm going to try to say his name correctly. He's Brazilian, and he was tremendous fun to talk to. And he said, you know, I said, look, that's my generation's music. I love that that music. And he said, you know, if Every opportunity you have to introduce Jimi Hendrix to a new generation is uh, is an honor. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I I don't know why the the minions. I mean, I I just it's just like Jack Black when I I just have to think about Jack Black or look at Jack Black and I'm laughing, and the minions affect me that way. So I'm really not very objective. And then when they put the music in in, I mean. I just go crazy, but I didn't. Why are they and this this overexposure in merchandise? Why why do you think now that this is, has become such a big thing? The menu. Well, you know, you just answered your own question. I think a lot of people feel the way you do. They look like marshmallow peeps, and they are very <laughs> very cute and adorable. And I think all of us kind of wish we had you know, these adorable little sidekicks to help us carry out our nefarious plans. Yeah, I think you're right. I went into the dentist last week, and the, the receptionist was wearing a, uh, you know, a top that had minions all over it. So that cheered me up going in the dentist office, so I didn't mind that at all. Well, and, <laughs> and you know that uh, Comic-Con had a bunch of people dressed up as minions, too. I was going to ask about that. I, of course, they wouldn't miss wouldn't miss a miss a chance to do that. Well, yeah. I see our time is really going by. Is there anything else uh, now that you'd like to ask about Minions or uh, Comic Con, or would you like to tell us about how your book projects are coming along? Because we're okay. We've got about uh, six minutes left. Okay. Well, I'm having a lot of fun this week. Yesterday, I interviewed two actresses from a new movie directed by Noah Baumbach and written by Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig. It's called Mistress America, and I got to interview Greta Gerwig, who I'm crazy about, and Lola Kirk, who are the two stars of the film. And Lola Kirk stars also in the uh, Amazon uh, series um, Mozart in the Jungle, which I love too. And I I just think uh, they are wonderful in the movie, and it was a lot of fun to talk to them. Today I spoke on the phone uh, to uh, one of the Disney animators who worked on Frozen Fever, which we saw before mm. Cinderella. And that was enormous fun. And tomorrow I'm interviewing the directors of a new documentary about one of my favorite authors, Louisa May Alcott. And uh, so I'm excited about that. So I've been having a lot of fun uh, doing interviews um, even not at Comic-Con, and uh, still working on the third edition of the Movie Mom book. Oh, you are so busy, and I do want uh, our listeners to uh, to go to the Movie Mom site and see everything that you're involved with, and uh, also to go over to Amazon.com and uh, check out uh, your wonderful film-related books. Well, AJ, anything that you'd like to add before we wrap things up? Uh, not really. I'm working on a couple uh, new reviews for uh, Real Talk Reviews and some of the other sites hey. that I write for. Uh, coming soon to uh, a yeah, classic movie guide, I'm going to be reviewing... Uh, oh, I sent in my review for uh, the 1967 version of Far From the Madding Crowd to kind of coincide with the 
uh, newer movie that came out, and I also have uh, Diamonds Are Forever, the James Bond one, uh, lined up. Uh, for real talk, I'm working on the uh, seventh volume of the Monogram Cowboy Collection. You got people like Jimmy Wakely and Whip Wilson and Johnny <laughs> Mac Brown, all these guys. And, uh, I'm so like, happy oh, you're oh, doing oh, that because you're, you're, I get to read them and I get all all nostalgic and. But um, oh my goodness! I wish that that we had that we had more time. It's been such fun as always to have you both on the show. So here's a big shout out to you, Nell Minnow, for being a great guest again, and Thank AJ you. for being such a terrific co-host. And special thanks to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for their support, and to Nikki Starr, uh, our producer extraordinaire. I hope she'll be back with us soon. Thanks to our chatters and other listeners. I see Energy Therapies is in the chat room, and thanks so much for participating. And we've had other uh, people signing up for the chat. Uh, they haven't identified themselves, but I'm very, very glad that they were uh, participating. Before we close, I want to recommend, uh, dear listeners, that you you uh, go over to Comedy Concepts here on Blog Talk Radio and listen to Nancy Lombardo. She's uh, She has a wonderful show every Monday and Friday mornings at 10.30 Eastern Time. It's called Comedy Concepts. And George Bettinger, Mr. Showbiz himself, hosts the Mom and Pop Shop show over there on DreamStream Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Plus, don't forget all the diverse shows on the Wacko Network here on Blog Talk Radio. There's something for everybody in the Wacko wheelhouse. That's all for now, folks. In honor of the 20th anniversary of the Movie Mom website, let's go out with this rousing version of Hooray for Hollywood. <laughs> Good. Go out and try your luck, you'll be gone.
Temple, New Angel Temple, is equally 